Father, thank you for this time, for your word, your word that is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And all your words are true, and they are a light to our path. They sanctify us. They instruct us and teach us and inspire us to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we open up the scriptures, as we read the story of your salvation in the life of Saul of Tarsus. God, may we be inspired. May we be moved. May we be in all of your amazing grace. And God, may we be fervent and passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Because you can save anybody. So we invite you here to come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 31. Before we get started, I just want to ask you, who is the most radical person you could think of that if they were to get saved, your mouth would just drop in awe if they came to Christ? Just picture somebody. And maybe you've struggled to think that this person could ever become a Christian. They're not a Christian. They're anti-Christianity. Raise your hand if you have somebody in mind, if you're thinking of somebody. Okay? All right. Well, in this story that we're going to look at today, the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul, we see somebody who probably appeared to be an unlikely candidate for conversion to Christianity. We see somebody who uh, many probably wouldn't have considered this guy would become a Christian, but he did. This was a terrorist. The, I've titled this, this sermon, uh, The Conversion of a Terrorist. And so in our day, we're, you know, we have terrorists. We have men who do, uh, who do terrible things in, in the name of their religion. Imagine somebody like a, a terrorist getting converted. Here's, here's one here, Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at D Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going in this text is that God is sovereign in salvation and he sovereignly saves Saul according to his grace and his purpose. God is sovereign in salvation and he sovereignly saves Saul according to his grace and purpose. Now, I said Saul was a a terrorist. He was a religious zealot. He was zealous for for the traditions of his fathers he he thought that he was doing the right thing in killing christians he thought he was serving god with his whole heart and so back in in chapter 8 we were introduced to saul uh he was there present at, at stephen's death when he was stoned in uh 8 verse 3 it says but saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison, and then we're 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 brought to chapter nine, and Saul's uh, mentioned again here, and and it says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest, and he asked for letters uh, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, and so he's breathing threats. I mean, just think of like this this snorting. Beast, animal, <laughs> breathing threats of murder. Uh, he was seeking to persecute the church. He wanted to kill Christians. And he wasn't content just doing that in Jerusalem. He wanted to expand his mission outreach to kill Christians, serving God, thinking he's serving God, bringing them to prison. Jesus prophesied about this. Jesus said that this kind of thing would happen. The very thing that Saul was doing, Jesus said in John 16, 2, he said, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. So Saul was sincerely seeking to stomp out Christianity. But he couldn't. He went to bind up, to arrest Christians, and he found himself being apprehended by Jesus. He found himself captured by Jesus, if you will. So we see in Saul's life that God is so- that God sovereignly saved Saul. He broke through Saul's resistance, his his violence, his. Uh, ignorance he he broke through in his life and he sovereignly saved him verse 3 in of chapter 9 now he went as he approached to damascus he suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground he heard a voice voice saying saul saul why are you persecuting me notice that jesus says why are you persecuting me 
He closely connected how Saul was treating his people, the body of Christ. He says, you're doing this to me, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul, this, his, his response reveals his ignorance. He didn't realize what he was doing. He thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing, doing a good thing. And so Jesus breaks into the history of his life. He shows up at a time when Saul didn't expect him. He, he was on his way to, to persecute Christians. And Jesus breaks in. He, Saul encounters Christ, the resurrected Christ. And he's knocked off his animal. And he's humbled. And, and he has this, this moment of crisis. And, he's, and he says, Lord, who are you? He addresses them as, as Lord, which could be just merely, sir, who are you? Or later on, we see Paul acknowledging Jesus as Lord and calling others to do the same. And so later on, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, or who's also called the Apostle Paul, says that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in Philippians chapter 2. Saul bowed his knee at that moment. He was humbled at that moment. He responded, Lord, who are you? Here's Paul recounting his testimony here in Galatians chapter 1. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, notice this. Paul's recounting his testimony and he says, he who set me apart before I was born and he called me by his grace. The Apostle Paul, now is when he's writing this, traces his testimony, his salvation story, way back to way before he was even born, that God had a plan for his life, a sovereign plan that would happen in his life. God had called him, God had chosen him before he had done anything good, or even before he did anything bad. God had chose him before he was born and called him by grace. And it was here at this moment on the road to Damascus, on his way to Damascus, that God was pleased to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to Saul. And he breaks into the history of his life. Saul was blinded to who Jesus was spiritually. And then when he saw the light, he was blinded literally for three days. I mean, he had such, such a dramatic counter with Jesus Christ. It, it radically changed him. The whole trajectory of his life was changed. This guy went from a persecutor to a preacher. He went from, from a terrorist to a missionary. He was on his way thinking he was serving God and God turned him around and, and, and put him on the way. I love that, that Luke calls this um, the way, Christianity the way. Probably from Jesus' words in John fourteen six, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father God except through me. 
Okay, these Christians were a part of the way. They were following Jesus, who was the way, um, who offered the way to salvation. We also see uh, all through throughout Acts, we see God's sovereignty in saving people. Um, but we, we we see with the Gentiles that God starts saving Gentiles, and this was this baffled many of the Jews, including Peter. So in, in Acts 10, the Gentiles start getting saved. And then in Acts 13, there's this comment made by Luke. It's a loaded theological statement. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. Here's a powerful verse on the sovereignty of God and salvation. God can save anybody he wants to, whether we like it or not. He has the freedom as God, the creator, the one who rules over all as the sovereign creator of the universe. He has the freedom to give mercy and grace to whomever he wants, even if we don't like him. Even if we would prefer, like like Jonah, even if we would prefer for God's judgment to come upon them for their wickedness, which Jonah wanted for, for Nineveh, right? And, and Jonah, he, a part of, Jonah reveals his heart at the end of the story. Part of his rebellion was, was he was like, I knew that you would do this, God. You're the Lord gracious and compassionate. I knew this would happen. If I would go and preach, they would repent. And God, you would have mercy on them. And he throws a fit, right? Because God didn't destroy them, right? God is free to give mercy and grace to whomever he wants. And his mercy and grace can break out on anybody at any time. He's rich in grace and mercy and love, and he is sovereign in bringing salvation. He can save whomever he wants. So this should inform our prayers and inspire our prayers and faithfulness in prayer to pray for the hardest people, the hardest of hearts. God can melt the heart of stone, as the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. So he's sovereign in salvation. He was sovereign in Saul's salvation. He was sovereign in your salvation. He sovereignly saved you and I as well. Um, also, we see that God saved Saul for a purpose. Look at verse verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. God revealed to Ananias Saul's purpose. All right. Before he got saved, Paul, when he recounts his, his part of his testimony in Galatians one, he says that that God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Saul was saved for a purpose. God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And it wasn't just to get a get out of hell free card. OK, it wasn't just to. Get saved and sit on his blessed assurance for the rest of his life. He had a mission to be a part of. He had purpose. God had saved him for a purpose. And we see here in Acts and we see it in Galatians and we see it in other places that he was called to be a preacher. He was called to be a missionary. He was called to plant churches and he was called to minister specifically to the Gentiles. God wanted he has this big plan, this big global plan to to reach every tribe and every tongue. Okay, Acts one eight, Jesus lays it out for us. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. God has this plan. 
that in heaven there will be a redeemed people from every tribe and every tongue around his throne worshiping. And God's sovereign plan will be accomplished. All right. The question is, are you and I going to jump on board with what he's up to? And so we see his purpose here. Um, we see in Acts 22, there's Luke thinks, obviously, that Saul's testimony is so important that he mentions it three times in the book of Acts. And one in, in Acts chapter nine, one in Acts 22, one in Acts 26. In Acts 22, he says this, Paul's uh, giving testimony before uh, leader here, and he says, he said to him, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, the righteous one, to hear his voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Acts 26 15, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. And so we see here in, in these verses, we see Saul's purpose for being saved. God had a plan for him that he would be a, a servant and a witness, that he would testify, that he would testify of the gospel, that he would stand before leaders and stand before Gentiles and, and testify of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial and his resurrection. In First Timothy, Paul recounts his testimony and he says this. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to this service, though I've. I, I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Y'all see that in verse 16? Saul got saved for you and I, that he might be an example to us who would believe the Lord Jesus was extremely patient with him. God is very patient. Aren't you glad he's patient? Aren't you glad that he doesn't just unleash his wrath the first time we sin and rebel against him and do something unpleasing to him? He, he is very patient with sinners and he gives us opportunities to repent. And he was patient with Saul, even though Saul was persecuting the church. And here Saul reveals why God saved him so that he might display his perfect patience as an example to those 
who were to believe in him for eternal life, to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Notice how God's grace overflowed towards him like a river, like a mighty rushing river or a waterfall. It overflowed towards Saul. In Philippians 3, Paul describes Jesus as apprehended him, making him his own. So you've got a couple different analogies that Paul is using here. God's grace overflowed towards me. God apprehended me. We see him preaching immediately after he gets saved, or some, some days he was with the disciples uh, at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard it were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I love God, his work in this story. A man plans his ways, but God directs his steps, right? Saul had a plan to arrest Christians in Damascus as the persecutor of Christianity and of of the Christians. And he ends up getting there and he becomes a preacher and a promoter of Christianity rather than a persecutor. Rather than a hindrance, he became a help to the mission of God advancing there in Damascus. And he increased in strength, and he confounded the Jews. He was a bright, sharp guy. He was well-educated. He knew the scriptures well, and he helped people see that Jesus was the Christ. He proved that Jesus was the Christ through the prophecies. He reasoned with people in the synagogues, and often he would go to the Jew first in the synagogue, and then he would go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to him. But, but we see him walking in his purpose here. He got saved for a purpose that he would be a preacher, a proclaimer, a witness. And he was testifying of Jesus. God has saved you for a purpose as well. It's not merely just to go to heaven. According to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And we try to make it very clear in evangelism that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace, through faith. Paul understood this. Paul wrote this. Saul, who became Paul, known as the Apostle Paul, wrote this. And he wanted the church to, be, to understand clearly that we're saved by the grace of God through faith. But also he wanted them to see that they were saved with a purpose, for a purpose, namely to do good works, to be God's worksmanship, God's work of art, God's beautiful masterpiece. To display his glory through doing good works. Amen? The other thing I want us to look at is how God was sovereign in Saul's suffering. Saul went through a lot. And he talks about it in like Second Corinthians. Uh, he talks about all the things that he went through. Shipwrecked, getting beaten, getting stoned. 
falsely accused. There were a lot of things that he, he suffered for the name of Jesus. And this was a part of his calling. This suffering for the sake of Jesus was, was a part of his calling. This is something that he called, that God had called Saul to, and he does, he calls us to the same as well. Uh, he calls us to enter into a level of suffering as well. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But the Lord Jesus told Ananias, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So even before he got saved, even before he encountered Jesus and be, became a Christian, Jesus tells this other godly Christian, Ananias. By the way, this is different than the Ananias that we read about in chapter 5. So the name Ananias gets some redemption here. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira in, in, in Acts chapter 5 were different. This was a different Ananias than this Ananias in, in Damascus here. And he's a godly example. He hears Jesus' voice and he obeys and we'll look at that in just a minute. The Lord Jesus tells them that Saul's going to suffer, that that's going to happen. And then we see that happening immediately. He's, he, the Jews try to kill him. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him, him in the basket. Saul went through so much uh, for the sake of Jesus. Acts 21, where uh, there's a guy named Agabus, a prophet, who finds his belt, and he says, whoever's belt this is is going to get beat down by the Jews. All right? And that was, it was Paul's, right? And so the, the church was like, oh, don't go to Jerusalem, Saul, Paul. Don't go there. What Paul said was, I know, basically, I know that there's tribulation. The Holy Spirit tells me, he bears witness, he testifies to me that chains and tribulation await me every city I go to. It's just going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. We see him setting his face to Jerusalem like Jesus did. And they were like trying to stop him from going to Jerusalem. And they finally came to the point. They said, the will of the Lord be done. Like if you're going to, it's going to happen. The, the word, the prophetic word was right on. He was going to suffer. There was going to be some tribulation. There was going to be some persecution. But that didn't stop him from moving forward, walking right into the fire. The fact that he was going to get burned, he was going to experience pain, it didn't stop him from walking right into it. And you know what? If God calls you to walk into the fire, he's going to be with you. The fire of persecution, he's going to be right there with you. You're going to experience his nearness. All right. And he's going to deliver you. Uh, there were often times when Saul was delivered, like right here, like he was let down. I mean, this this seems like a really cool story. Like they were watching the gates, you know, watching the, the gates of the city so that nobody day and night they were watching it, making sure that nobody would leave and that Saul wouldn't leave because they wanted to get him and they wanted to kill him. And so some some disciples let him down through a basket. Let's look at this guy, Ananias, who took a risk here. Imagine if you were Ananias, all right, and then there's this terrorist guy. I mean, just think of a, a modern-day terrorist, somebody who is a radical religious terrorist, and Jesus tells you, I want you to go pray for this guy. How would you feel? Would you be like, yes, Lord, I'll do it, Right? And so, so he, Ananias, gets this word from Jesus, or a vision, and, and Jesus says, 
Well, he says to Ananias, in a vision, Ananias, he calls his name, and he says, Hear my Lord. It's very similar to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. Hear my, send me. Uh, he says, Hear my Lord, before he even got the instructions. And the Lord said, Rise and go to straight, the street called Straight. And to the house of Judas for look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And Ananias responds in verse 13. He says, Lord, I've heard I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. It seems like he's making an appeal here. Like, are you sure, Lord? I've heard about this guy. This doesn't seem wise to go go even close to this guy. It doesn't seem like a very wise thing to do. It seems a little crazy. Oftentimes, Jesus calls us into risky situations for his name's sake and for the gospel's sake. And Ananias was, first of all, willing. He was, I mean, he had this posture of, here am I, a living sacrifice. What do you want, Lord? The Lord gave him a pretty heavy ask, pretty risky task, and he did it. And aren't you glad that he did it? I mean, we, we don't hear a whole lot about this guy, but this guy's like a hero. He's taking a risk for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake, for Saul's sake. If I were him, I would want to really make sure I've heard from the Lord. I would try to get some confirmation from a couple of other brothers and sisters, like, y'all pray for me, you know. Is, I feel like God's telling me to go pray for this guy. You know, make sure and take care of my will before I do all that and take care of any unfinished business. But he was willing to take that risk. And the Lord just tells him, go, go. He's a chosen instrument. Ananias departed and entered the house. Notice when he rolls up on, on Saul, he says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Perhaps these, these were very comforting words from the mouth of Ananias. Perhaps they, he was the very first Christian that Saul felt and heard the love and acceptance of Christ from. You know, he's blinded, he doesn't have eyesight, he's humbled, he's in a hard place, you know, he's in a humbled place. And he says, Brother Saul, he calls him a brother. I mean, he's really stepping out in faith here. He's really taking some risk here. Because everything else he's heard about this guy does not indicate that he was a brother in Christ at all. He was, a, he was an enemy of the church. But Ananias heard from the Lord Jesus and he stepped out obediently, courageously, and in love, says Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. Notice again the filling of the Holy Spirit and how important this is in the book of Acts. Luke thinks this is very important, and it is. Paul later on wrote and commanded the Ephesian Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Christianity. That's an important part of Christianity. Live with the influence of the Spirit of God in your life. Don't, be, don't live under the influence of alcohol and drugs and anything else, but live under the influence of the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And so immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he arose. He got baptized. He, was, he took some food and he was strengthened. What a powerful testimony. So we got Ananias and then we got Barnabas taking some risk. Now we've already been introduced to Barnabas as a godly leader in the church. Somebody who is generous. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Saul shows up at Jerusalem, and the church is afraid. And, I mean, just think about this. If I, don't, don't give these guys a hard time. I mean, if somebody that you've seen, a terrorist that you've seen on the news, walked in here this morning and wants to worship with us, and, you know, they're lifting their hands, and... You know, they're, they walk into our, yeah, you'd be, hey, keep one eye open and one eye closed while you're worshiping, right? They were afraid. They didn't believe them. Maybe this was a deceitful plan to get more Christians in prison and, and persecute more Christians. They didn't believe his testimony. They wanted to see some fruit first, right? Show, let us see some fruit. Let us, let us see some evidence that you're a true disciple. But Barnabas, we see Barnabas as, as, He's called the son of encouragement. Remember, he's kind of like that golden retriever, just bright and encouraging and, and, and positive. And he believed the best about Saul when everyone else didn't. And praise God for Barnabases. We need more Barnabases and we need more Ananiases who are willing to take risks. William Barclay says this. He says, first, the church owed Paul to the prayer of Stephen. Remember, he prayed, Father you know, forgive these guys. Then the church owed Paul to the forgiving spirit of Ananias. And now we see the church owed Paul to the large-hearted charity of Barnabas. The world is largely divided in the people who think the best of others and people who think the worst of others. And it is one of the curious facts of the life that ordinarily we see our own reflection in others. And we make them what we believe them to be. It's a quote from William Barclay. So Barnabas is willing to to take Saul in, to, to introduce him to the apostles. Um, he took him in, brought him to the apostles. He declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and, and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He's commending him. He's, uh, he's giving Saul a recommendation before the apostles. He's saying, I, I've seen this guy. He's the real deal. He, he can roll with us. Come on, guys. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists. And they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Send this guy back home. All right. And notice verse 31. God converts Saul. He encounters the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets saved. He gets baptized. He gets the Holy Spirit. The scales fall off his eyes. Okay, he gets welcomed into the church. Notice the, the, the contrast here from the very beginning of the chapter where he was going around breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Imagine how hard it might have been to sleep at night. If you were living near where this guy was at, you were a Christian and you were living near where Saul was and you knew you heard that he has permission to arrest Christians, kick in your door, you know, and arrest Christians and take you to jail. OK, there was there was probably some, some shaking up and some concern among Christians. But here at the end of the chapter, we got God had sovereignly saved Saul. He broke into the history of his life and rescued him by his grace and his mercy. And now the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And they were being built up. 
They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. I pray this for City Church Garland. This was the church flourishing. God had a good plan for the church. And though there were opponents, though there were persecutors, God's plans would stand. It says in Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands firm and his plans to all generations. He will bring the counsel of the nations to nothing. God's sovereign plans for his people will be fulfilled. Amen. And so here's some application. Avoid writing people off as being too far gone or unreachable. If God can save a Saul of Tarsus, God can save anybody. So if there's somebody that you thought of when I first asked you at the beginning, who's that person that just seems like way out there that seems it would be a miracle if they got saved? Don't write them off. Don't write their salvation off as an impossible because with God, all things are possible. He can save anyone. So we should pray for the persecutors of Christianity. We should pray for them. Perhaps there were many Christians who were obeying the words of Jesus in Matthew 5:44 when he said love your enemies pray for those who persecute you Saul was a persecutor of the church so the church had an opportunity to pray I believe that there were some Christians praying for this guy Christians that probably have a great reward in heaven like Ananias this you know who is instrumental in Saul's restoration there were probably christians praying that he would get saved obeying the words of jesus pray for those who persecute you and if they were what great joy they would have had to see their prayers answered when saul became a christ follower okay what great joy you would have and i would have if we prayed for persecutors of the church and they got saved that would build your faith significantly, wouldn't it? And so seek to live out your purpose for which God has saved you. Saul, who became the apostle Paul, was walking in his God-given purpose. The grace of, he said, the grace of God towards me was not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15.10, I am what I am by the grace of God. But God's grace towards me was not in vain. And I labored more and more than the rest of the apostles, yet not I, but it was the grace of God that was with me. So by the grace of God, Saul was walking in his God-given purpose. He was living out who God had saved him to be by God's grace. And then take risks for the gospel. Take big risks for the gospel. Ananias took a big risk in going to pray for this guy. Barnabas took a big risk in welcoming him into the church. I mean, just think things could have went really bad if Saul wasn't genuine. But it was the Lord. God had genuinely saved this guy. And Barnabas believed the best. And he took a risk. And then Saul, this this guy started taking risk like crazy for the gospel. He was already a radical. Like he was he had all that energy directed in the wrong direction. And the Lord saved him and, and pointed all that zeal and all that gifting, and he set it in the right direction. But he took great risks for the gospel. He went into risky situations where he would experience persecution. This testimony of the Apostle Paul is to be inspiring, encouraging to us, and an example. 
an example of God's grace and his mercy and his patience. Throughout history, God has saved many who have been enemies of the church, of Christianity, people who have been so wicked and done such wicked things. I think of um, like John Newton, who was a slave trader. He got converted, he got saved, and he became a pastor. And he wrote the, 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 the most famous hymn that, that we all know, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Are you amazed by the sovereign grace of God to save somebody like Saul? And are you amazed by the sovereign grace of God to save somebody like you? May God capture us with a fresh sense of amazement and awe and wonder of God's power to save. He is mighty to save. And if there's somebody here today who hasn't yet experienced that hour of first believing and first experiencing the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of the Lord Jesus, right now is a great time to receive that. God wants that for you. He wants to break in to the history of your life and give you freely the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and freedom through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's just sing that hymn together, if you would. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. God, may we give ourselves to your purposes, to your plan, the very thing for which you've saved us, a life of good works, a life of testifying and witnessing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Move us on to your agenda. Lead us into your will. Lord, we do pray for the persecutors of the church and we pray for Muslim persecutors, radical Hindu persecutors of the church, places like Bangladesh, Pakistan. Lord, we pray that you would bring um, many persecuting Muslims to faith in Jesus many radical Hindus to faith in Jesus, that you would give them dreams and visions and that you would send messengers who would boldly take risks for the sake of the gospel, and that your word would spread and run swiftly and be glorified 
throughout Asia and those parts of the world that are most where there's most uh, persecution. And may we be willing to take risk here. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you. Give you his peace. You carry sin and shame, the guilt of it.